This Week in Oklahoma Politics is sponsored by Oklahoma State Medical Association, physicians dedicated to providing and increasing access to health care for all Oklahomans. More on its vision and mission at okmed.org. For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel. Governor Stitt kicks off his second term after taking his oath of office on Monday and giving his inaugural speech. His address focused on restructuring the state's education system, cutting taxes, job creation, and limiting big government. Neva, what are your thoughts on the speech? Well, really, the speech was in, in many ways uh, very similar to four years ago when the governor took the oath for the first time. Um, the the look, the staging, I mean, his longtime friend Corbin McGuire emceed the inaugural ceremonies this time as he did the first time. And it, really, the themes were not uh, all that different. I mean, uh, four years ago, he really uh, keyed in on that uh, inaugural address on uh, education, criminal justice reform, and uh, government accountability. And those were some of the themes that we heard him at least address in, in his uh, second inaugural address. So I think uh, the focus on um, education, clearly, I think uh, that we saw uh, a much more a move toward uh, the idea, not only in his words, something along the lines of uh, having an education uh, system that prepares all children for success, but really focusing on some of the uh, uh, charter school successes and other things that really kind of set the stage for, I think, this larger education debate that we will see uh, in the upcoming legislature. Uh, criminal justice reform, uh, a, a, a key point in his first inaugural. He talked about that in the second, some of the things about closing prisons, uh, uh, the, the number of prisoners released, some of the things that uh, he, he felt were accomplishments in his first term. And then I think on the gov government accountability side, it's interesting. When he came into office, he said that uh, the agencies had too much power in, in government. They were, they were decentralized. They could kind of do what they wanted. They didn't have to really pay attention to executive orders. Uh, they could basically go rogue. Now we have, uh, we have a situation where much of that um, legislators are now, I think, in this upcoming session, going to be talking about should some of that change back. And uh, we've already seen bills filed uh, with tourism and other places where um, they, uh, at least some lawmakers, want to see uh, the, the large control of the governor uh, being stripped away and going back to uh, what it was prior to uh, uh, him coming into office. So I think uh, I, I think it's kind of the tone was uh, to be expected. I think the upshot, again, was uh, the top 10, making uh, Oklahoma a top 10 state. I think his uh, phrasing on that seems to have changed a little bit and, more, and be more akin to a visionary look at uh, uh, what that what that um, metrics would be to make it uh, attractive, make it a top 10 uh, state uh, for folks to come to, businesses to be attracted to. Um, and I think we'll see coming out of this, really, uh, the, the bigger question is, what will he say in just a few weeks in his state of the state as he really lays out what he wants to do working with the legislature in the next uh, several months uh, moving forward in his, in his first year of his second term? Ryan. Well, you know, I think that just the setting itself demonstrates that you know, we're, we're beyond November. Uh, you're putting the campaign campaign ads on the shelf. You know, some of the, the main themes that were coming out of 
uh, Governor Stitt's campaign and, and his uh, his partner Ryan Walters campaign uh, that were, you know, the, the radical left. You didn't hear a lot of that from the governor in his state of the state. Instead, he really focused on things that uh, I think um, you know, have a lot of bipartisan support. And that kind of makes sense. I mean, you look out in the audience there, you had your former Governor Brad Henry who campaigned very hard against Governor Stitt's second term, but he was there. Uh, you know, just the the power of the institution. You had tribal leadership there uh, that worked very hard to defeat uh, Governor Stitt, and who has been at feud with him uh, and basically at war with his administration since uh, day one, really, that he was elected. Um, but everybody was there, and you know, at some point, you have to you know set aside the campaign and you have to get to the work of governing. Uh, I want to applaud the governor for for talking about things like. Criminal justice reform, you know, the fact that he highlighted that we've closed four prisons, that we've safely reduced the number of inmates by over 5,000, uh, and that we've done this while recidivism rates are lower than anywhere in the nation. And that's that's a really incredible, uh, you know, testament to just how bipartisan criminal justice reform measures have, have come. You know, the governor went on to say that they made, you know, huge investments in law enforcement. The Oklahoma Highway Patrol received a much needed pay raise. But you talk to other law enforcement folks out there, uh, county sheriffs, municipal police officers, and, and many of the uh, smaller municipalities around the state. I mean, they're struggling. I mean, they, they are barely making, if they're, if they're even making minimum wage uh, or livable wage jobs out there. Um, and then you look at things like, uh, you know, treatment centers. There's a lot to be done in terms of investing. The 781 fund that was created back in 2016, whenever that passed, not a penny has been invested in that. The Oklahoma Office of Management and Enterprise Services says around $70 million should have gone into it by now. That, I think, is something that the governor can show a lot of leadership on this year and, and highlighting that. You know, there's uh, you know, other things that I want to you know, point out. He, he talks about, um, here's, here's a Republican governor uh, looking at Santa Fe South Charter School, and he is highlighting and, 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 and applauding the bilingual students there. He, he talks about, uh, you know, the teach, that the kids get to you know, have the language of their heart. Uh, you know, that's that's pretty incredible uh, moved. I don't want to say move to the left because I don't want to discourage him from doing this. But if you think of where Republicans were even, you know, 10 years ago, uh, I mean, we were talking about English only uh, legislation, anything that talked about um, bilingual education or, or promoting that, you know, would have been just a political death sentence uh, uh, for a Republican or at least perceived to be. And now you've got a governor highlighting that. So, um, yeah, I think that there's there's a lot uh, to this um, that that is aspirational. The governor said as much in the, in the debate with uh, with Joy Hoffmeister back in the campaign season. He said, you know, he kind of admitted it. I mean, I don't know if it was a Freudian slip or what, but the governor says I never meant top ten to be you know really top ten. It was aspirational, and I think that that's really how you can look at this uh, second speech or this second inaugural address from the from the governor is is really aspirational. And I hope that uh, that that aspirational commitment to bipartisan issues continues into the legislative session. And I think it's interesting, Ryan, I mean, in in his uh, closing part of the uh, inaugural uh, speech, he he made the point uh, that uh, he wanted to protect uh, our way of life in Oklahoma. I think he he said that he wanted uh, to protect the the farmer's right to work, uh, an unborn child's uh, right to live, a a parent's right to raise and and, uh, educate their children without government intervention. I mean, he struck the, the themes and the tone um, in, in many ways that uh, kind of uh, went across the board, as you say. I mean, where there was kind of something in, in there for everyone if they really uh, uh, paused and listened to what the governor was saying. And I think it was a, a demonstration of a, a changing of the guard in, in some measure, a, a governor being uh, 
back in office for a second term, but new new faces in, in state government and some of the statewide offices. And it was a time, I think, where we had a tone across the board that is something that I think was refreshing for just folks listening and paying a little attention to. And hopefully this will be the stage that's set as we go into uh, those opening days in early February of the legislative session. And, and even, even the social issues, uh, abortion, uh, you know, being able to educate our children without government interference, you know, those are, you know, a softer way of saying a lot of the things that were said on the campaign trail. And, you know, I, I suspect that we're probably going to, you know, see, um, you know, some of that, well, I, I suspect, I hope that we see some of that, you know, carried on into more moderation now that he's been reelected to a second term. Uh, you know, most governors after they're elected to their second term, that's it. Uh, you know, and he may be looking at his huge victory in the political capital that he has and maybe going to Des Moines or something like that in the next few months. Well, and but but really, you know, I think that if you start to look at a second term, you know, this is a legacy term. Uh, you know, I think any governor that's got a second term will tell you this is the term where you set your legacy and you make your mark on the state. And when he and when he really closed his uh, inaugural address, one of the things that he invoked was um, talking about President Abraham Lincoln's uh, second inaugural address, one of those that we talk about that is such a, uh, a famous uh, historical speech. But he, he, uh, he really delved into that by saying, let's not focus on Washington, let's focus on Oklahoma. So I think he was trying to set the stage to address problems here to try to hopefully uh, have um, a tone that will reflect a more bipartisan effort to at least have a conversation. I mean, we are a a Republican-led state. We're a Republican-controlled legislature, but we do have the opportunity to at least have civil discourse, I think, in the upcoming session, and I think that would be refreshing to a lot of Oklahomans. On the second day of his new term, Governor Stitt abruptly replaced two-thirds of the State Board of Education. The six-person panel overlooking Oklahoma's public school system is getting four new members. They include two business owners, a licensed pharmacist, and a homeschool teacher of her five children. Ryan, what are your thoughts on this overhaul? Well, I, you know, Neva mentioned earlier when we were talking about the governor's state of the state that the governor has time and again uh, exercised this new executive power that the legislature gave him early in his first term. Now he's in his second term. Uh, the legislature is looking at rolling some of those powers back. They better do it with a veto-proof margin because I can't imagine that Governor Stitt's going to sign any bill that gives up any of the power that he has right now uh, because he sure seems to enjoy exercising it. Um, but this, this really does set the stage. I think that this sets the stage for uh, his friend and, and uh, political partner, Ryan Walters, who's now the superintendent of public instruction in the state of Oklahoma, uh, to, to just, you know, run, uh, just you know, run the uh, Department of Education without really any interference. Um, you know, this is something that, you know, really uh, it stacks the deck. Uh, he has in you know, just about every other board of commission. I mean, we've seen it with the Veterans Commission just recently as well. Um, he's stacking the deck so that any question or issue that's going to come in front of this board is really a foregone conclusion. I mean, we, we know uh, how it's going to answer these questions. We know exactly the direction and guidance that they're going to get. Um, I'm not suggesting that we do this, but I, you know, just as a, as a thought experiment, we could probably get rid of the State Board of Education uh, and the results that we have right now that are going to come out of that board would be exactly the same. If we just put all of that power directly in the governor, all of that power directly uh, with Ryan Walters, did away with the board altogether, results would be the same. 
I think that that's a mistake. Uh, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, these boards and commissions play a very valuable role in oversight. And uh, as we've seen over the last four years, uh, a lack of oversight leads to, you know, whether it's intentional or negligent, leads to a lot of outcomes that, uh, that I think most Oklahomans you know, scratch their head about, if not uh, more, including our new Attorney General Gettner Drummond, as he's beginning to look at some of those uh, those uh, shortcomings and failures over the last four years. Neva? Well, it's interesting because clearly, uh, as you say, Ryan, I mean, the governor and his uh, uh, superintendent of uh, his cabinet secretary, he reappointed him to be the cabinet secretary uh, in one of his first actions on, on, a, on the inaugural day, but also the fact that in one of the first tweets that Ryan Walters uh, made or Facebook post uh, on social media, he basically said, you know, he, he launched into the, he was going to continue the fight at the state capitol. He talked about uh, uh, woke indoctrination, uh, uh, radical gender ideology, talked about the lack, lack of transparency um, in funds and the things that he wouldn't tolerate in his administration and went on to say that he was in basically in step with the governor's vision. So uh, kind of matched with one of the, one of the uh, uh, statements that the governor made in his inaugural speech uh, was uh, th- that it's, it's time to... Uh, uh, teach kids how to think, not uh, not what to think. So, I mean, we've kind of seen them kind of throw down the gauntlet here uh, this week in terms of what the focus is on education. A lot of speculation on what that means in terms of a full court press on full-blown vouchers and that whole conversation, which obviously um, it, the legislature is going to have a big, uh, a, a big part in that. But I think when you look at the folks that he uh, took off the board, the replacements on the board, uh, it sets up for a lot of conversation. And I think uh, we even saw the uh, uh, House Appropriations uh, Chairman, um, uh, Education Appropriations Chair, uh, talk about the fact that he had some issues with the fact that there was no real rural representation that he could see that the that uh, the congressional district that uh, would would probably be the one that would be focused on that. You have uh, the member that uh, the governor has uh, put forward as his choice uh, is someone who lives in Edmond, uh, not uh, not really someone that you could argue is a a rural representative. So um, I think there's going to be a lot of discussion. I think it sets up if the if if there is a willingness and an and a want to on a fight uh, in terms of pulling back some of some of the uh, governor's uh, uh, control of these uh, boards and agencies this may be the setup or it may just have a free coast and and republicans have the numbers and they will just uh, pass it on through and and let the game you know let the game uh, continue in terms of uh, where the where the um, governor wants this dialogue to go, so I think it will be fascinating, um, and I think the scrutiny. I mean, these folks all have to have Senate confirmation. Will that be just a, um, a kind of the the normal obligatory go through the process without much uh, said and a very uh, a very cordial environment, or will there be some uh, will there be tough questions, and will will some of these folks. Uh, um, decide that that's not their cup of tea. I mean, who knows? There's a lot of things that we can speculate on at this point. But but the point is, I think that on the on the second day of his second term, he he made this very bold um, move in terms of at the end of the day sending this out and kind of uh, 
having the shot across the bow in terms of the focus on education being very clear and very prominent in his second term. And, and the Senate confirmation is going to be the first place, I think, where we see this interplay between Ryan Walters and the legislature and, and, and to some extent the governor uh, with these appointments. And it's interesting because you have these competing political prerogatives uh, at, at play right now. And um, you have Senate Republicans, uh, rural Senate Republicans that do not like the voucher scheme whatsoever. I mean, they, they were against it. They were the ones that helped uh, kill it in the Senate. Uh, but they're also the lawmakers that I think are most likely to buy into the idea that, you know, there's some radical left agenda being pushed in public schools. So, um, you know, they, they are going to be at odds. Like you said, you know, there's this concern already raised, where's the rural representation. And so you have, you know, very conservative, socially conservative lawmakers that nevertheless are going to be at odds with this administration and with the secretary of education over the issue of school vouchers, precisely because they want to protect the rural schools. That's, that's an interesting dynamic and we'll see how it plays out. Confirmation hearings are going to be, I think the first place where we get a taste of that. Well, and confirmation hearings may not come till May, as we, as we know that oftentimes is something that uh, yeah, they, they hang on to till right at the end. It's a negotiating tool to make sure that uh, other things uh, in the give and take of what, uh, uh, what leadership, and the Senate and the House want. Uh, this is something that we saw, you know, year in and year out in terms of uh, uh, over over time what uh, what this has kind of been uh, the the, the um, kind of the game that's been played. So I don't know that we'll see this real quick move these folks forward through. Maybe some in the cabinet. Uh, maybe that'll be an you know an easy easy uh, easy take and and they can get that done quickly and dispatched. But. Uh, the bigger question will be some of the actions that we've seen uh, specifically with something like the uh, State Board of Education. The new state superintendent, Ryan Walters, is leaving his position as CEO of Every Kids Count Oklahoma. The organization advocated for the expansion of private and charter schools. Walters' critics worried about a conflict of interest for the leader of public education in the state. Neva, do you agree with Walters' decision to resign? Well, I'm, it was his certainly his choice. I think there had been a lot of conversation, as we've seen over the months, uh, um, uh, uh, the question of, was that a smart move? I mean, can you have someone who is uh, basically in a position to have two six-figure salaries, and uh, one is uh, with, with taxpayer dollars, one is a nonprofit uh, group that is, a, that is advocating for the expansion of public and private public and charter schools, um, and uh, it's, uh, it, it's certainly something that how it, how it happened, I mean, just hours before he was sworn in with really no conversation by Ryan Walters himself, uh, it, the nonprofit it was actually the entity that announced that he had resigned uh, from Every Kid Counts Oklahoma. So I think there that now we've heard reports uh, this week, uh, uh, conversations about that, that there had been concerns that the nonprofit was uh, planning a, a reception at the Capitol uh, for uh, Ryan Walters uh, after, you know, after his swearing in ceremony, uh, some, you know, some speculating on whether or not that really raised, was that a conflict of interest or did that kind of pass the smell test, I guess, politically for many. And so I think uh, taking this off the table right now um, and uh, focusing his uh, full efforts on his one new job as, uh, as the uh, basic head of education uh, in Oklahoma and, uh, you know, with a clear agenda that he, he set out. I mean, he's made it very clear. And I think even in uh, uh, interviews this week, one of the things that he pointed out is that uh, he believes that uh, parental choice and, and the, the conversation on the, uh, uh, the full-blown vouchers is something that he is 
clearly going to be front and center on and uh, be a driving force behind. So we'll see how that moves forward. And, you know, are Republicans, uh, you know, numerically in a place both in the legislature and just in terms of uh, Oklahomans kind of across the board in the state? Is this an idea that time, that uh, whose time has come? Or is this something that's going to be a continued fight? Will it be an urban rural fight or will it be a larger conversation about education in general no one disputes the fact that we've always said that in education um, parents have the full you know kind of have the full plate of many options i mean they can homeschool public school private school charter school parochial school you name it uh, online i mean there are many many options for parents uh, in terms of how to how to uh, uh, see their children educated and I think this conversation, which has been in the heat of the last campaign, I mean, was a real uh, a real hot-button focus. Will that intensity continue on into 2023? I think that's going to be one of the big questions in my mind and something that will be interesting to see how it evolves. Right. Well, you know, I think those choices exist for metropolitan, suburban parents and their kids. Uh, those choices get a lot uh, fewer whenever you get out into rural Oklahoma. And uh, it's not just a matter of there's not a private school in many of these rural counties to, to send somebody to. There's not a charter school to send somebody to. There's not you know money or backing or, or leadership uh, to, to run an administration to create a car- charter school. So you've got a public school. And the next public school may be 20, 30, 40 minutes away. That's your choice. Uh, and you might say, well, let's go online. We've got real broadband issues uh, out in rural Oklahoma. Your ability to have reliable internet connection to be able to uh, participate in classes. And, a, and, a, and as a parent, you know, choosing between, all right, well, here's my public school or I'm going to sit my kid down in front of a computer. You know, I, I set my kids down in front of a computer, I think, for a year and a half or, or better. It feels probably like longer for them during the pandemic. Uh, and that's not a substitute for in-class instruction. Um, you know, the governor said that a whole lot. You know, it's not a substitute. So, you know, those, those choices get fewer when you're out in rural Oklahoma. On, on the question of the uh, uh, superintendent stepping down from this nonprofit, how in the heck did it take until hours before the inauguration to finally make this decision come true uh, or to, to come to be? Because that's to, to me, it's, it's just a no brainer. Uh, you know, how in the world can you expect to uh, have uh, credibility when you're essentially being paid to lobby yourself? Uh, and that's what it is. He would have been paid to lobby himself. Now, you could say, well, his his ideas are simpatico, so there's really no influence or persuasion there. But we don't know who these corporate interests are that are funding this organization. Uh, you, the governor in his inauguration speech talked about secret special interest. Well, there are secret special interests behind this organization. And we've got to remember um, that behind all of the conversation about you know uh, woke indoctr- uh, indoctrination uh, and radical left takeover of our schools, which, oh my gosh, I've got two kids in two different public schools in, in Oklahoma City, public schools. I haven't seen any shred of evidence of that whatsoever. Uh, you know, I, I promise you, I'd, I'd take it seriously. Uh, but I haven't seen anything like that. I actually have kids in schools. You don't see it. Um, but behind all of that conversation is and, and this move to, to vouchers and private schools and school choice, when you hear that, there's big money behind that. There are organizations, there are private corporations, not just nonprofits, but private corporations that stand to make millions of dollars uh, if we shift to a voucher program. Now, 
you know, whether some people say that that's fine or it's not, you know, I'm not here to say, uh, you know, this, this isn't necessarily me saying that that's wrong or right to be able to make money, uh, out of this deal. I'm just saying that we've got to recognize that that's a motivation. And whenever you work for an organization that's funded by people that stand to make millions of dollars out of policy making that you have uh, discretion and authority over, you shouldn't be a part of it. I mean, he should have stepped down the day he was uh, elected back in November. Um, so I don't know how it took this long. Um, you know, he has, he is really going to, I think, create a lot of problems in particular for these rural lawmakers, uh, these rural Republican lawmakers, because, you know, not only is he you know, pushing the school choice deal, but now they've said they're going to go after two. They're, they're already going after two uh, teachers. They're saying that they're going to purge the State Department of Education of, of, of liberals and leftists uh, trying to indoctrinate people. Um, those are constituents of somebody. Uh, I promise you, whenever he starts going after constituents of some rural Republican that's been a teacher for 20 years uh, who insists on teaching Toni Morrison and, and Ryan Walters doesn't like it, that's going to create a problem for these legislators. It's going to get more complicated. And I think you know, Ryan Walters may play well on TikTok. Uh, he may play, play well uh, you know, to a particular base. But in governing, I think he's going to be a real problem, not only for himself, uh, but for Republicans in the legislature. And I think this will be interesting in terms of how the legislature really deals with exactly what you're describing. Um, there's some there's been a lot of uh, a lot of speculation on how this will move through the legislature will will lawmakers uh, do something will they take the tough votes that gets to be difficult as you say for what you just described Ryan rural legislators who have to go back home and face the you know the folks that elected them the folks that are in the communities that many of them have lived their entire lives around um, or will they punt the football like sometimes they do politically? And will they decide just to put it on the ballot as a state question and say, we'll let Oklahomans decide uh, this question once and for all? And what would that look like in terms of timing for an election like that, in terms of the, the dollars spent? And you're right. I mean, you know, it, it, to say that that would be a level playing field in terms of how money uh, comes in on both sides of that, uh, uh, both sides of that uh, potential proposition, I think is uh, certainly... Uh, questionable. So it is going to be, I think, the front and center focus, trying to talk about these other large issues that uh, lawmakers care about, other issues that the governor wants to see uh, some action on. They may all be muted by this bigger conversation, which is a continuation of a conversation that started back during the campaign, even previous to the campaign, but certainly uh, was front and center during the campaign. And now we'll see if that becomes the dominant conversation at the state of the state and in the early weeks of the session. New Attorney General Gettner Drummond is taking the case against Epic Charter School's original founder away from the Oklahoma County District Attorney. In a letter to new DA Vicki Bahanna, Drummond says prosecution of the case should belong to the AG's office. Ryan, this holds to what Drummond promised during his election campaign. I think this is just, you know, one of the concrete steps that the Attorney General has taken since, you know, being inaugurated. I mean, he's, he's a few days into the job. This guy has, has demonstrated he really doesn't care about rhetoric. Uh, he's a man of action. He's, he's, you know, this is what I'm going to do. These are the policies that I'm going to pursue. These are the investigations I'm going to reopen. Uh, I'm, you know, he's, he's kind of demonstrated throughout the campaign, and I think in his few days as attorney general, that he is a, he is a, 
man of his own making. Uh, he is not going to be persuaded by the governor, even though he says he wants to rebuild a relationship with the governor. He said that he wants to make sure that the state has a, a good relationship with tribal governments, uh, and that's going to be something that's going to be very much at odds with uh, the state, state administration if it continues to pursue policies that uh, you know, are, are adversarial to the many tribal nations in the state of Oklahoma. You're going to have an attorney general that's going to largely side with these tribes. Um, you, you know, the attorney general came out. He said, we're going to fight illegal marijuana operations, but that doesn't mean that we're going after legal marijuana operations. He said, he thinks it's like, uh, this is his quote. I like this. He said, I think it's akin to gun ownership. Law-abiding citizens follow the law. Criminals don't. So those grow operators in the state of Oklahoma who are validly licensed, Oklahomans following the law, they don't need to be burdened with more laws and regulations. You know, we need to go after the illegal operators. I think that that's an, an incredibly important tone, uh, you know, that, that enforcement of law makes sure that we have a good legal regulated system. So here's, I, I think that everybody's talking uh, about, you know, Gettner Drummond is running for governor uh, in four years. You know, that's, you know, that this is the beginning of a gubernatorial campaign. I think that that, you know, there may be folks around him that are thinking about that, but I, my sense is that the attorney general walked into office with a, a, a checklist on day one, and he's really starting to check those boxes. Uh, I, I think that we're going to see a, a very active attorney general, probably uh, like we have maybe since uh, Drew Edmondson was in office. Neva? I would agree with that. I mean, let's remember, Gettner Drummond ran for office and barely lost uh, four years ago, ran again uh, at a time when he could have run for, you know, he could have run for governor, could have run for a U.S. Senate uh, open seat, uh, the unexpired uh, term that uh, Jim Inhofe left. Uh, he had many options on the table. He wanted to be attorney general. He aggressively campaigned to be attorney general. And from all indications, he's putting together uh, a stellar team of uh, new faces in the in the AG's office and rolled out on day one, as you say, with the, with the fact that he took back uh, uh, um, uh, took back this uh, uh, issue that uh, the prosecution of these cases with the founders of uh, Epic Charter Schools and one of the other uh, officers. And we're talking about tens of millions of, of taxpayer dollars uh, that uh, that uh, are in question. And the fact that it was last June that at the time Oklahoma County DA David Prater filed the charges on these folks uh, 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 and uh, the, uh, the felony counts were racketeering and embezzlement and a number of other charges, very serious. And so I think we will see um, some, real, um, some real aggressiveness on the part of the attorney general to kind of go back and uh, uh, deal with a lot of the issues that kind of had been just sitting on the desk for a while and, not, uh, and, and, and try to dispatch those and, again, look at things that uh, maybe haven't been, you know, haven't been front and center. I, you know, there's some fascinating things I've developing kind of as a sidebar in terms of uh, what's going on with re respect to tribal gaming and a lot of things going on uh, just in general that I think have implications in Oklahoma. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me that in Texas, uh, there are over 350 lobbyists that have registered for, the up, for their upcoming session, and they're front and center on casinos uh, coming into Dallas and Houston. So it changes the whole dynamic of uh, 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 the whole casino world uh, in terms of Oklahoma when you have Texas, which has not been in play, now you know seeming to aggressively be looking that, at that as a, a possibility sponsored by sports teams. Uh, we're talking about sports betting in Oklahoma as a legislation that uh, is uh, is going to be on the, the table. So there are a lot of very fascinating, very complex, very challenging um, 
issues and legislative uh, uh, legislative pieces that I think we're going to see unfold this year. So I don't think we're going to be lacking for a lot of things to talk about uh, here in the coming months. And Ryan Neva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff, or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at donate.kosu.org.